Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. My name's Dr Beach. I'm Dr Surf. Dr Surf. I'm actually Dr Garden now. Are oh, you? Yeah. Because I spend more time growing flowers than paddling around, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, we were just that. talking, uh, Beach. Yeah. I think it's been three years since I've been here. It's been a very long time. We're joined by Nerida this morning too, who's doing a going to do a wonderful job paddling. And what what do you Good reckon, Nerida? What? How long's it been since you've seen surf? Oh, easily three years. And just, but we have spoken. We have. I do ring in. Hmm. But I got chauffeur driven in this morning by the gorgeous Mrs. Surf. She Ooh. is. Yeah. So love, love I'm, I'm in clover. You're in clover. Except yeah. my headphones don't work. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I must say, Nerida, I'm mesmerised by your fingernails. <laughs> yes. They are slightly marine themed at the moment. They're yes. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've got slightly a big fake show. and slightly marine. Uh, we do have a big show. Uh, we are gonna, well, we're going to kick off with a bit of a prep for summer surfers, particularly those who, um, who uh, might be new to surfing, who are doing it for the first time, thinking, yeah, maybe I'll get out there. And I indeed could be one of these, Dr. Surf. I mean, I am someone who has a lot, to, you know, enjoys the marine environment, enjoys getting in the water, but I've never, never been able to stand up on a surfboard. So there could be people like me. Yep. Old geezers who want to go out for the first time, yep. young geezers, yep. anyone, anyone, and we're going to talk about that at length. You're, well, you're going to share your tips, your summer I am, surfing from tips. from my vast experience working in a surf shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be giving you tips on what surf shops to go to for a start, what to ask, how much you should pay, um, and what you should do if you want to be a surfy. If you want to be a surfy, yeah, but Which, not not only that. I mean, like if also if you. You know, buy the gear, get the wetsuit, get the board, get out on the water. How to look after yourself there, first time entry. That's right. Where to go and where not to go. Yes. And what to say. <laughs> I'm looking, I've, got, I've got lots of questions for you. Good. Uh, and, then, and then after that, we're sticking with the surfing theme. We're, we're, we're kind of pretty lucky today to have, um, from Noosa on the blower, Phil Jarrett. Phil Jarrett is a journalistic surfing legend. Ex-editor of Tracks. If you know anything about surfing, you'll know about Tracks. He's written lots I, of even books. Even I remember Tracks. So we're going to have a chat to him about his latest book, uh, Immortals of Australian Surfing, where he um, he details the the well, it, it, his, his personal perspective, I guess, on on twelve of our um, most famous. Well, I suppose his favourite. I mean, his choice of immortal surfers from this country, kicking mm. off with Midget Farrelly. Yes, and I'm very pleased to see our friend Wayne Lynch is in there. That's would have good, been very yeah. grumpy if Wayne hadn't been there. Yeah, we have a we have a, a sting for marinara from Wayne Lynch, uh, and then we're going to um, close the show with our own Anth Boxall, who is currently in California. IA. Um, he's doing his uh, marine biology sort of you know thing over there, coastal yeah. management kind of stuff. He's deeply interested. And where in. is he? I think he's near Monterey Bay. Ooh, we've been there. We we have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Surf and I spent, um, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about that when we've got out. Yeah, but we did yeah. go to the aquarium, or I did. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah, I've been to that aquarium. And those of you who are lucky enough to have been to um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium will know what we're talking about. There's the beautiful displays of um, mm. 
All sorts of things, I'll including jellyfish. I tell you what, we jellyfish. should ask Ant how the kelp forests are going over there. Uh, that would be a very good question, how the giant kelp's going. Yeah, so we'll do that. Mm. So that's to wrap up the show. But um, you got any news? I do. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of very brief things. First one is general um, state of play in the surf industry is there's a lot of very cheap second-hand boards and wetsuits out there. This is the... Um, during COVID, during the lockdown... There was a boom in surfing gear sales, as there was in bikes and anything else. And what seems to be happening is that people have decided, I don't really want to do this anymore. So there's a lot of stuff on eBay, and I'm playing that into my little talk about what to look for and what to pay. How not to get ripped off. But times are tough in the surf industry at the moment. Um, There's a lot of stuff coming in from China which is making it difficult for local producers. So I'll have a little chat about that later on. My other piece of news is that we've been listening to podcasts of late. My wife got me onto these. And the ABC podcasts have been some really, really good ones. And there's a marine-themed one, which I've got sort of a personal attachment to, Mm. called How Dave Got His Sea Legs. (laughs) And it's about a guy called David Hannon, who I happen to go on to school with, and he has had a very interesting life. And it, it turns out that he's now an uh, underwater photographer up on the reef. And if anyone's seen the old footage... Up on the, um, the Great Barrier Reef. Great Barrier Reef. Not the Southern Reef. Great Southern Reef. If anyone's seen that footage of the coral reef spawning simultaneously, he did that. But it's worth listening to just for his childhood. He, unfortunately for him and me, we went to the same school... Yeah, a very strict single-sex school. And it was very pleasing to hear someone else who'd broken away from that mould. Yeah, you both survived. <laughs> Flourished. Flourished. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so that's my news. Do you that's have any news, news Oh, I got, there's some news in there. Well, there's a yeah, lovely article about um, chin-strap penguins grabbing, um, grabbing micro-sleeps. So narrative's looking at me going, like, penguins, love penguins. Who doesn't love a penguin? Um, Beautiful paper which is published in Science, the most recent edition of Science. In fact, it made the cover. And as many of us will understand, to get the cover of Science or to get the cover of Nature, it's like the cover of Rolling Stone. Uh, This is a paper which has come to multinational paper from people from the Korean Polar Institute, people in Germany, people in France. Anyway, they've gone to St George Island, which is um, in between South America and Antarctica. And they have put little sort of loggers on 14 chinstrap penguins' heads. Now, I, you know, I don't like aggrieving animals having to do this, but the, you know, it's all in the name of research. We can debate, debate that. That's a you know, whole other half hour or hour. Trying to measure their, um, their sleep habits. So imagine your big colony of penguins. You've got skewers, brown skewers, who come in and want to nail the babies. How do you catch, how do you catch your 40 winks? Turns out they catch microsleeps, four-second sleeps on average. It goes between, and they can get thousands of those a day, and add all those up to about nine hours of sleep, but just in sleeps which average four seconds. They can stretch it out to a lengthy 12 or 20 seconds. <laughs> wow. But they, don't, they can't actually prove that they're getting enough sleep, but the colony's doing well. The penguins are happy, 14 of them randomly selected, all do this, so one can only assume that this is enough for the chinstrap penguin to get by on. That's a very useful adaptation. 
Well, it, it, it sure is when you've got, you know, predators wanting to get your babies, but also in a very noisy colony. Yeah. The inter- one of the very interesting things about this is that they would have thought that sort of within the colony, sort of protected from the predators who might sort of want to get to the outside of the colony first, that you'd be catching more sleep. But no, the, da- the numbers were the same, whether it's within the colony or at the edge. So they can ass- they- all the researchers can assume from that is that there's competition for the nests. And there's a whole lot of noise. It's just a, you know, it's a shit show in the middle. And there's like all sorts of things happening. And so all of the penguins get by on this average of four-second microsleep, which they add up to like nine hours a day. So microsleeps for us driving a car, you know, that can be pretty bad. But for some things, um, that's how they get by in life. Yeah, I thought that was a bit of fun news. Yeah. Um, and if you're interested in more in that, you can either go to Science or the ABC. And I did. I, I really hate this when I prep an article. I find an article in the journals and I go through it. And then, oh, let's have a look at the ABC. And there it is written up in the ABC. I got there first. The ABC read my thoughts and wrote a very um, nice article. Well, Peter de Croft did. Um, it was posted yesterday morning very early. Um, yeah, but I did it before that. Yeah. Yeah, nice paper. And in depth. Triple R. So if you're, you're, you're here joining me today and Nerida, um, oh, it, it's, I mean, it's great. We haven't, we haven't seen you for a long time. No. Um, I've got my best painting pants on. I can see that. It's a work of I'm art. Dressed, you're, dressed up for the occasion. You look like Jackson Pollock. <laughs> um, summer surfing tips. I, I'm going to call this So You Want to Be a Surfy, Do You? And the reason for that is when I was 14 years old and I was walking past the Four Kings near Anglesey Main Beach, two older boys in a combi, and I was dressed in my Golden Breed T-shirt. Treads? My, my no thongs, plaits, boardies. I had zinc cream on my nose and I really wanted to be a surfy. And they said, so you want to be a surfy, do you? And I was mortified and I ran away with a red face. But later I thought, I'll show you. And I did, because they're both dead. So stop, you guys. <laughs> and I'm still surfing. You know they're dead, or you just assume because they were that much older than you? Because they succumbed to the drugs and the cigarettes and whatever Oh, else. you know those two, right? Yeah, okay. but I've had a chat with a couple of other uh, local legends down my way, and the same thing happened to them. And my point is, don't be put off by grumpy people saying things to you just because you're a learner. Keep going. I like, I, I, can I tell you, I love hearing that coming out of your mouth. <laughs> Don't be put off by grumpy people. Because you, people will say, oh, rack off learner and worse. But yeah, don't be put tough. off. Just keep going. And that's my point for the day. Just If you want to be a surfer, you can. Yep. You've just got to persist and do it regularly. So my first tip for uh, being a surfer is get some lessons. And there's plenty of good surf schools out there. Uh, there's one, uh, Ocean Grove's got one, Anglesey's got Go Ride Away, there's a couple down our way with Prue, and, um, oh, sorry, I've had a mental block, Fraser. There's good ones on the island through Atlantis, and I would suggest don't get one lesson, get three at least. Right. Because what you want to do, you want to come out of a lesson or your lessons, being able to stand up yep. and being a little bit confident about taking off because that's the hardest thing is getting to your feet. Don't think you're going to be turning all over the wave. Just stand up. Feel feel what it feels like. Once you've done that, that's when you come to a, a surf shop. And I would suggest very strongly that you come to an independent surf shop. One's like, and I, I will mention a few names, there's Rasta Surf down at Barwon Heads, mm-hmm. Anglesey Surf Centre, 
on the west coast. Yeah. Down our way, there's bass and triggers. Mm-hmm. And on the island, there's Atlantis and Island. These are family-run businesses, and they know what they're talking about, and they'll give you good advice. And a lot of them are allied with surf schools. So the independent businesses as opposed to the big things in Torquay. Yeah. We're not, not we're mentioning about, any names not mentioned, no, that are no, owned no, by no. bankers in America. Yeah, yeah. But these are family businesses, and the people that work in them know what they're talking about. So if you're still not sure about what surf school to go to, you can go to one of these shops and they'll put you onto a good surf school and we will give you advice we're not really after your money i know that's going to sound trite uh, trite but we're not we're after we want you to um i guess when, when you say we what well, is this because the you start at the start because, because you, work you, you, work at, you, you work at one of well, those I help we the surfing community yes right. we help out i help out at a surf shop and i can tell you that at the surf shop i help out at we're about Encouraging people to have the fun that we've had or are having. Yep. It's not about grabbing your money. So the first thing you're going to do after you've had your lesson, because you will have had your lesson on what's called a softie, a board that's like a boogie board but much, much longer. Yeah, I've got, I've got one of those. I, even I, I can't stand up on that. I should be able to. I, just, I guess I just lack the persistence. They're very stable, mm-hmm. and if you fall off and bang yourself on them, you're not going to get hurt. Yep. They're not sharp. Yep. Fins are not sharp. So you have the option then, once you've done your lessons and you're feeling a little bit confident and you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on with this, you can either come into a surf shop and get a, a softie of your own mm-hmm. or you can go for a harder board. Now, I would suggest as a learner, it really depends on your weight and your size, that you should grab a board that's at least eight feet long because the the aim of the game at the start of your surfing career is to catch waves and to be stable enough to get to your feet. You're not going to do that with a little six-foot Kelly Slater board. Question. Are the measurements still in feet? Ah, good question. Yes. We're very much imperial. <laughs> Old school. Old school. Yeah, could have guessed that. It's in feet. Um as far as surfboards go, wetsuits are different, but we'll get to them. So you want a board that's at least eight feet long. Mm-hmm. If you're a big guy like me, uh, you would want a nine-footer because you want something that feels stable when you're getting to your feet. And Dr. Sir, for those who are listening and can't see him, obviously, is about six foot. If you school. watch children's television like I do regularly. Yeah, ABC I, Kids. ABC Kids. I look like Peppa Pig's dad. Oh, yeah. Daddy that's Pig. Good, that's a good description. Yeah. So um, that's what we want. We want balance. But if you don't want to go for a softie, that's fine. You, there are two options in harder boards, and one of them's called epoxy, and the other one's called PU. Epoxy. Epoxy. It's not epoxy board. No. It's epoxy. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good one. No, epoxy, epoxy boards are very strong. And so you're not going to ding them. In other words, you're not going to damage them very easily. And they're a little bit floatier than polyurethane. But again, I would go for a board that's eight foot or bigger. Um, some surf shops will lend you a board so you can try them. Or you could get on the, um, you know, what is it, the Facebook Marketplace, eBay, whatever. You can. And there are, post. there are a lot around at the moment. But I would strongly suggest you buy a board that you've tried before because you can get a very bad experience if you just look at a picture and you think, yeah, that'll work. It may not. How are you going to do that, though? Go down to the beach and, you know, see someone with a board that you think might be good for you. Say, hey, can I get on that? Can I just well, a quick you can go? come to a surf shop like the one I uh, 
uh, work at and we have demos. Right. And if you say, I'm interested in buying one of your boards, we'll say, take that for a couple of hours, have a go. Don't mention the shop, but you are wearing a Trigger Brothers shirt. I am. <laughs> yeah. There are other shops that do that too. Mm-hmm. This is where the benefit of going to an independent shop comes out. So mm. you've got it. Now, how many fins should you have? Well, you really should have three for starters because that makes the board more stable. So you've got your eight-foot or your nine-foot board. You've got three fins. The next tip I've got is go regularly. That's difficult for people, particularly those of you with small children, but try. So practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. What you'll get from that, is not only a sense of balance, but you'll learn through time. And there's no other way to learn this, where to sit, how to paddle. Where to sit is very, very important at a lineup. There's an etiquette. And you're going to be out there with 50-year-plus veterans, and most of them will be very nice. But you've just got to know where to sit. Don't drop in on people. In other words, if there's someone on a wave, that you do not go for that wave. That's just... One person, one wave. That's etiquette. That's etiquette. I think even I know that. So not don't drop in. That's the no. expression, is that it? Yeah, that's it. And when you're paddling out, don't paddle out through where people are riding. Go round. And that's, there's often a channel that you can go around in. So you're out of the way. You're not, you're not going to run into yeah. people what? while you're paddling out. What, what do you think about – I had dinner with a couple of people last – well, several people. It was a lovely dinner. Thank you for those who hosted it. Um, two of them regular surfers and they said that they really like the um, not only getting out in the water but also going to the Tullamarine wave pool and they mentioned that that can be a good place to to learn to surf it can definitely because you will get a certain uh, a minimum number of waves per hour yeah they have teachers out there people who will assist they do they will give you lessons and they can provide you with boards Mm -hmm. which is another thing i'm sorry i failed to mention during lessons you go to a accredited surf school they will provide everything board wetsuit everything right so it's all done for you but the wave school's good the only downside of a wave school is it does not teach you where to sit and that's just something you have to learn once you've picked your spot where you want to learn mm-hmm. and we'll move on to that in a second you've got to know where to sit but well, in, in, the, in the sequence of waves and like with the other people yep. out there or where to sit on the board both but right. sitting okay. the, what i'm talking about is where do you sit in the water yeah so you're out of the wave but out of the way but you catch plenty of waves so um now the next thing is you want to buy a wetsuit right this time there's two types they're called two three which is two mil three mil which is what you wear now Mm -hmm. or there's a three mil four mil which is what you wear in winter so the thicker millimeters being on the chest and the thinner on the limbs yep for easier paddling right so you're going to have two types again you'll have a back zip which is easier to get into cheaper but they let in a bit more water so they're not quite as warm. Or you'll have a chest zip, which is a little zip across your chest. It can be a bit like doing a yoga class, trying to get in and out of these. But once you've got the knack, they're easier to paddle in and they're much, much warmer. Okay. And what you're going to pay for a wetsuit, for a 3-2, you're going to be looking at about $250 for a back zip up to 590 for the top of the line chest. For a 4-3... You're looking at about 350 for a back zip and anything up to $800 for a good one. Mm, bit of an outlay. Yep. So there it is. My message is if you want to do it, do it now. Don't put it off. Now's a good time. Once the waves come back, 
the water's 18. Yep. Get down there. Go. I would suggest strongly, just finishing up, go to somewhere where the waves are gentle. Ocean Grove's perfect. Anglesey. Lovely. Don't go to Gunnamatta. Okay, thank you very much. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Yeah, we've been talking about surfing with you, Dr Surf, and we have one of um, Australia's legends of the surfing riding world, uh, Phil Jarrett from, um, from Noosa. Good morning, Phil. Uh, good morning, doctors. Just if, before we start the interview, could I just ask, do you guys do telehealth? Do we do telehealth? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've yes. got a bit of a lurgy. Right, okay. Is yeah. it a surfing lurgy? We, yeah. we can help with yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> How's the surf up there today? Uh, flat as. Yeah, it's you know, the same at least, here. At least I, at least I won't, uh, won't have to be sitting here sick thinking that I should be surfing. Uh-huh. There's absolutely nothing to surf, so I'll, I'd rather do a radio interview. Good. You, you, you do sound a bit crooked, poor thing. So thank you very much for um, yeah, getting off your sickbed to chat to us down here in um, in Melbourne about the, the new book that's just hit the um, the shelves or about to hit the shelves, entitled mm-hmm. "Immortals of Australian Surfing." Um, very excited for you for you having that out now. Um, yeah, it's about it's book number uh, forty six, I think. So you know the, the excitement has <laughs> waned a little bit over, over the years, but um, this is a particularly uh, apt Christmas title, I think. It's um, it's the first time I've worked with uh, the publisher Gelding Street Press, and uh, they're terrific people to work with, and they've done a brilliant, brilliant job of production with this little book. And um, the only the only negative about it for me is that uh, I had to choose twelve out of about five hundred surfers that I've not only have I admired over fifty years of writing about surfing, but many of them are quite close friends, and uh, and some of my closest friends in surfing didn't make the cut. So when word gets out, um, I, I might lose a few friends along the way. But um, anyway, I, 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 did hope, enjoy, I hope the public likes it. I, I did enjoy the opening paragraph of um, your um, preamble to the book where you said, in, in addition to a modest fee, you um, uh, you might also get a few punches in the face from people who, who, <laughs> whose names you left out of the book. So, yeah, I can imagine a very difficult decision how to how to bring it down to 12. Kicks off with, uh, with Midget Farrelly. Even I, I'm a non-surfer, but even I... Um, Remember, I, I remember that my brothers, I remember others talking about Midget Farrelly, that you know, one of the first people to get Bernard Farrelly, his name, to get surfing off the ground in this country. Well, yeah, it depends how you look at it. I mean, um, uh, you could you could say you know, Midget Midget became a big big name in the very early sixties when he um, when he won the uh, unofficial world title at Makaha in January nineteen sixty three. That really put him on on the map, and it also made people suddenly realise that there was a surf boom in progress. But um, half a century earlier, uh, a guy called Duke Kahanamoku had visited from Hawaii. Uh, he was the uh, he was the reigning um, Olympic champion distance swimmer, sorry, um, sprint swimmer, and um, and uh, he was also uh, the leading surfer in the world at that time. Um, known mainly in, in mainland America and Hawaii for that, but um, he came out and demonstrated um, what, what surfing, what riding a surfboard could really be all about. Um, and that would have kick-started uh, the whole sport then, back in the summer of, 20, uh, of 1914, except that a few months later, um, half the uh, young men who might have, might have taken up the sport were on their way to Gallipoli. Um, and that was the end of that for another generation, really. So... Um, it took until after the Second World War for, for surfboard riding to really get um, get kick-started um, in Australia. And the person at the forefront of that was Midget Farrelly. 
Uh, it's like to surf here, Phil. I'm just wondering how many of the immortals in the book are not world champions and why, why did they qualify? Well, you know, <laughs> good question, Doc Surf, but um, it's, um, we have more than 12, you know, I was told, I was told that we, have to, uh, we only have 12 immortals. Um, and originally the publishers said we want six men and six women, and I had to I had to explain to them that um, that gender uh, gender equality was something that was quite new in surfing. In fact, we we still haven't really achieved it, um, but we're a lot better off than we were 10, 20 years ago, um, when women were often uh, run out of out of the surf by by male by aggro male surfers, um, and. Um, I explained to them that uh, we, we couldn't do we couldn't do six and six, but I think I could do four and eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and and then I realised, of course, that we had more than more than that in world champions and Australian world champions. Um, I think we've got about seventeen um, world world Australian world champions. Um, so I, I had to make the criteria different from being a, uh, from being a world champion. And I think that's that's fair enough too, because uh, it shouldn't you know surfing is such a creative sport. And it's such an individual sport and a culture that yeah. I think you've got to look. You know, when you're looking at who are, who are the people that um, everyone recognises the greatest in their sport, um, it's not always just the results on the board. It's got to, it's, it can be the influence they've had over the sport um, and, and all the other things that they brought to the table. And obviously, uh, Midget Farrelly and Nat Young and the early surf heroes sort of qualify on all levels. Uh, but when you get when you get into the pro era um, from 1976 on, um, it got more difficult to choose who should be in the book and who should not. So I just tried to make the uh, criteria as widespread as possible relating to the culture as well as the competitive sport. Yeah, and I think you've done a good job there. We're very pleased down here to see Wayne Lynch at number three. Whenever. Well, well, yeah. When when I when you say number three, um, I realised uh, I realised since the book's been published that uh, that uh, that could be seen to be the uh, the way the way it's laid it's out. Cr- chronological. It's, but it's, it's it is chronological. So Wayne's up there in the fairly early days. But I was I was stoked to be able to put him in. He's a personal friend of mine. Has been for many many years. Um, but also he's been an, an absolute inspiration to surfers of my generation. Um, not because of his competitive surfing, which was very very good. Um, but because of the attitude he brought to the surf, and also uh, he's an incredible surfboard shaper, it has been for a long time. Yep, and he's still going. He still is. Yes, he's um, he's deserted Victoria, but he's uh, he's not far from me. Actually, he's just across the border. Yep, um, and he's still surfing and still making surfboards. Uh, just a couple of questions about uh, the women you've included here. The, the obvious ones you put in Elaine Beachley and Steph Gilmore, and I think they've got, correct me if I'm wrong, 15 world championships between them. Which is uh, that's uh, eight and eight and seven. That's right, fifteen. Yeah, that's correct. An amazing. <laughs> but, but you've yeah. also included Pam Burridge. Uh, can you just, yeah. just explain why you've put her in? Well, Pam, Pam only won one world title, but uh, but uh, she was she was the equivalent of Midget Farrelly uh, a couple of decades earlier. Um, she came out in the in the nineteen eighties with a with a kind of punk rock attitude. In fact, she played in a punk rock band at the time, and uh, and she had, she was a good looking girl, and she could surf, you know, like like you wouldn't believe. Um, so she she had the full package for people beyond surfing, particularly uh, sponsors, ad- advertisers, and so on, um, to to pick up on on Pam as a, as a character in surfing as well as being a brilliant surfer and um, she's carried that on right through her career um, she's always been more than just a just a, a brilliant surfer and uh, and today she she still carries that on on the south coast of New South Wales where she where she teaches uh, uh, young people to surf 
and um, and does a lot does a lot of voluntary work in that area as well. I might add. And she was yeah, one of the pioneers right. too. It was tough for the girls back in in her day, very tough. But she was one yeah. of the pioneers that stuck at it and, and got women's professional surfing on the map. Yeah, well, I mean, we all remember the Puberty Blues, the, not, not the TV series, but the original movie from the early eighties when uh, um, when there, there were glimpses glimpses of that kind of sexism that I was talking about earlier in surfing. And uh, unfortunately, it, 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 it hasn't gone away completely. But um, in more recent times, uh, largely through the work of people like Pam, particularly like Lane Beachley uh, through the nineties and. and into the 2000s um, and carried on uh, with, uh, with with Steph Gilmore and Tyler Wright. Tyler Wright has been particularly active in that area, making uh, women's rights front and centre in surfing. And um, so I think the four, the four people I've chosen as the female immortals are, are completely uh, apt and um, are women who have really advanced the cause of surfing. Absolutely agree with that. It's, it's certainly a very attractive looking book. Um, um, had, I've had, I can't say I've read the whole thing through, but what I have read is, um, yeah, it's a really great read. So um, I encourage people who have an interest in surfing um, and the history of it in particular um, to, to get out and get that book. Um, available at all good bookstores, Phil? Absolutely, or you can get it at philjarrett.com. Okay, great Christmas gift. Thanks yeah. very much for your yeah. time, Phil. Yeah, really, you really appreciate you. Um, yeah, getting on the line to and us from Noosa get well this morning. Soon. Yeah, and yeah, rest up and um, hope you can get out in the water soon, Phil. Oh, I'm sure I'll be out there very soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks much appreciate it. No worries. See ya. Independently yours, Triple R, one hundred two point seven. Our very own Ant Boxall. How are you going, Ant? I'm very well. I'm very well. Doctor's Beach and surf. <laughs> what you doing over there? A uh, bit of work. Bit of work, actually. Uh, oddly enough, in northern Idaho, I head there tomorrow. But I came through here to get over jet lag and catch up with some old friends and see my old alma mater at UC Santa Cruz. Doctor Surf and I were in um, UC Santa Cruz uh, several decades ago. We were, probably, and um, we were there um, staying at the student accommodation, and there happened to be a cheerleaders conference on at the time. Um, we were very well behaved. We, we, yeah, we were. Yeah. I would be hoping so. Hey, Dr. Seth, you would love to know, I am, I'm actually north of Santa Cruz at the moment. I'm very near Mavericks, <gasps> the big wave. Um, and, in fact, I spent some time at Stemmer Lane, not in the water. But, um, uh, yes, but I went past Stemmer Lane, and I thought of you. Thank you. I know the I place well. Hey, Anth, we've got about six minutes, but um, you've got some, um, some elephant seals to mention. Yeah, well, it's funny because, the, the, you know, this part of the coastline is really well known for its elephant seal populations. And many years ago, we did a bunch of um, um, interviews with people who are working on elephant seals here because there's a famous place called Año Nuevo. And on the way down in the car a couple of days ago, um, I pulled into Año Nuevo and the woman at the gate said, well, like, I'm sorry, you can't go down and see them. Normally the public can, and you can get really close, you know, to them. And um, she said, oh, because the big males are coming in and establishing territories. Oh, yeah, watch And out. they'll haul out. And, yeah, I mean, and the big males, as is, is you probably both, and listeners may remember, you know, they're the size of, like, Volkswagen Beetles, okay? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, you don't want to take them on. And so wisely they suggest the public stay away from the um, theatre title zone while the big males are establishing territories and fighting. Yep. So they close it for two weeks. And what happens now is the males are establishing those territories. Um, they're kind of marking out the females and, and, the, and the spaces. And then the females pup in February. And here you go, here's a fact. Um on the the peak pupping is is Valentine's Day, oh, so they pup, 
And then the males, like that minute they pop, it's on. And so then, you know, that's the, the start of the, I guess, the um, reproduction for the next season. So, yeah, it's just kind of a little interesting local... Yeah, fun thing. fact about elephant, elephant seals. seals. I was wondering yeah. we, we, I mentioned very briefly before about um, sleep patterns in penguins and sort of doing my wide-ranging research on sleep. Um, came across a paper which was published earlier in the year saying that elephant seals can sleep while they're diving and then they will sort of you know, sleep and then drop many drop. tens of metres and go down to like, you know, 200 metres or whatever they can. Having on the they do that. They've also got this really remarkable physiological thing where they, sh- and you'll probably know more about this, Dr. Beach, where they, they, they close off. It's like they constrict their blood flow and they almost go into a kind of a torpor when they're very, when they're very deep and it saves oxygen um, so they can stay there longer. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, the other remarkable thing mm. is, um, and I, I, most people won't be interested in this, but there is a, a world first. I've never seen this. There's a really interesting course, graduate course at the University of California in Santa Cruz on coastal science and policy. Goodness for the, for, knows we need more of that. For the policy wonks, but yeah, we do need more of that, absolutely. Oh, you know, like the whole connecting through, you know, here's the science and here's what it means in a policy yep. context. Really interesting. Anyway, well, first, never seen that. We haven't got anything like that in Australia that I know of, and I've looked after that kind of stuff. Hey, the last thing is it kind of a bit more devastating um, um, update on the, I guess it's the climate change impacts along the coast here. You know the way we've got disappearing kelp forests yep. and have done for a bit with heat and urchin barrens. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about this on the show. Over here, they've got something we haven't had, thankfully, to date. It's called sea star wasting. And what happened was in about 2013, there's a big, be- I mean, a really big, beautiful sea star, bigger than our cosmos series, the Lebanon. And, and, and um, these the- are local ones. These are not ones that local. are... That, yeah. Yeah. These are all the locals, and there's a big, beautiful one um, that's called the Sunflower Star Mm -hmm. um, or the Sun Star. Some people call it very big, you know, bigger than a dinner plate, you know, really big one. Anyway, that that started disappearing, and then so did all the other ones, the Bat Stars and the Biscuit Stars. and And what was happening, they just went and so there are now areas so the 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 sun star for example has been added to the iucn list of vulnerable species it hasn't been seen in most locations it's it's functionally extinct in the this southern part of northern california um and so what what it tied it to is because the the this part of the coastline is very tied to the enso cycle you know the el nino la nina cycle that we have but theirs is the opposite and so what happened is when, when there's an El Nino here, they get these pulses of warm water that come up from the south. Um, and what's happened, they're not sure exactly, but the sea stars have been affected by either and or both of a virus that's coming up with the, the warm water or increased nutrient, um, sorry, increased kind of dissolved kind of sediments that's decreasing the oxygen. And they're literally, the sea stars have just disappeared People who have dived here for decades, I was talking to a friend before who dived for decades, she has not seen sea stars on dives for years. Could this be so, having, like, a, so the kelp, we know the kelp is in trouble as well. Kelp is eaten by urchins. Sea stars and all of those things are echinoderms as well. So is this a, a sad, sad thing for the sea stars, but how are the urchins going? 
Oh, the urchins, well, the problem is the urchins are becoming overabundant. Oh, right, okay, <laughs> and, so whacking the kelp even more. The, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, no. And then everyone's kind of going, what about the otters? Because the, the whole story yes. with the kelp and the urchin. So the otters, they're supposed to, you know, whack down the urchins. But the problem, the otters are doing great guns because there's so many urchins. But there's too many urchins. And some of the otters are actually specific to certain species of urchins. And so they're kind of going, oh, whatever, I don't care about the bundles over there. I'm just going to eat my fill here. So it's kind of a really interesting removal of a kind of predatory layer in the in the ecosystem in the food chain. So anyway, I just thought, I'd, sorry, on a sad note to leave it on. Yeah, it is a sad note to leave it on. Uh, the echinoderms again. Um, I can and, hear that music in the background. Yeah, Anthony Boxall, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today on Radio Marinara, live from California. Um, thanks also to Phil Jarrett for being on the phone um, under the weather a little bit, talking about his new book on um, immortals of Australian surfing. And Dr Surf, it's been a great pleasure having you in the studio with us. Um, Nerida, thank you very much for panelling for us thanks, today. Guys. Next week on the show, it's um, Bron's still going to be away, so it's going to be the boys back in the house again. It's Cade and Dr Beach. Uh, we've got June, John Lewis, um, who's going to be talking to us about invasive species, and we have Linda Sproul. Uh, from the Melbourne Museum, who's going to be talking about the new Artifacts Titanic exhibition. Um, have a great day. Get out on the water if you can. Um, we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.